0: You should be in chapter 4 of Mark right now. We're at verse 35 this morning. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. This is what the Bible says. On the same day when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, that is the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace! Be still! And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? The title of my message this morning is Fear, Faith, and Fear. And if you'd like to track my message this morning, you can listen for these things. A recap. Going to the Greek a great movie line, two miracles, name-calling, and a word from Max Licato. A recap, going to the Greek, a great movie line, two miracles, name-calling, and a word from Max Licato. Let's begin with prayer. Would you bow with me, please? As you bow, let me just uh, confess to you that I need an extra measure of grace this morning as I preach. Would you pray for me, please? I would really appreciate that. Lord, I'm so thankful for the morning. So thankful for the week. Oh, there's so much. To celebrate over. Thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. And thank you for now. Thank you that as we open your holy word, it is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. Thank you for that. And thank you for your presence here. This morning. God, I imagine there are people in this room going through some difficult storms right now. So I pray that you will bless them. I pray that you will speak to them. Help us to know how to minister to them well. And may you be glorified this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me remind you where we've been so far. Two weeks ago, uh, we talked about uh, chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark being a pause in the action. Uh, The first three chapters are very fast-paced. There's a lot of action, a lot of movement but in chapter four, Mark pauses to share a, a collection of parables to emphasize Jesus' teaching ministry. And if you can remember back four Sundays ago, where uh, where did uh, Jesus do his teaching from? Do you remember four Sundays ago? That's okay if you don't. I'm going back to verse 1 in chapter 4. Verse 1 in chapter 4 says this, And again, he, that is Jesus, began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So once again, this has been a theme in the Gospel of Mark. Once again, the crowds are gathering. They're pressing in on Jesus. They want to be near to him. People are coming from all over to hear what Jesus has to say or to ask for healing from an infirmity of some kind. Uh, And this particular crowd at the start of chapter 4, is so large that Jesus has to board a boat just to get some elbow room in order to teach. And he teaches from the boat, which is sitting on the water just offshore. It would be as if uh, the stage were a ship and you were on land. And I would be teaching you from the ship in the water, to you, seated on the seashore. The only difference would be Jesus, too, is seated on the ship as he teaches. I don't know that I could stand still, sit still, long enough to do that. As Jesus taught that day from the boat, he taught in in parables, and in his parables, he repeatedly referred to the kingdom of, of God. Cuz he did that at the start of his preaching ministry. If you go back to chapter 1, Mark wrote this, you no know, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent And believe in the gospel. In his parables. In chapter 4. Jesus explains the mystery. Of the kingdom of God. Verse 11. Chapter 4. And he compares the kingdom of God to a man who scatters seed. Verse 26. A man who scatters seed. And then goes about his business. Not knowing how the seed uh, will yield a crop. At harvest time. And yet it does. And then he compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, verses thirty and thirty-one, a very small seed that, within a, within a short amount of time, grows into a very large bush where birds may come to get shade. And in messages over the past three, Sundays, or pardon me, uh, over the three Sundays prior to last week, Matthew and I shared what all of that meant. And if you missed any one of those messages, please go to the website and pull them up and listen to them you won't be disappointed so this recap I'm doing here is important so stay with me 2 weeks ago i told you the kingdom of god is very personable personal the kingdom of god is very personal jesus said in luke 17:21 the kingdom of god is within you and if you are a christian Jesus resides in you. And if he resides in you, then the kingdom of God is within you. But I also said the kingdom of God is vast. It encompasses everything that falls under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. So why is all of this important? Because Mark follows up all of his parables, this series of parables that Jesus taught on the kingdom of God. He follows all of that up with a series of miracles that blow those who witness them away. After each miracle, Mark describes the witnesses as being in awe. Or by saying they marveled. Or by saying they were amazed. Jesus' miracles from Mark 4.35, where we are today... Through the end of chapter 5, prove true what Jesus said in his teaching in the parables about the kingdom of God. Both his miracles and his teaching relate to the kingdom of God and his sovereign rule through the king, Jesus. So, with all of that, let's move to our text. We're in verses 35 and 36. Right now where the Bible says on the same day. When evening had come, he said to them. Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. So that same day. That same day Jesus got on the boat to teach a large crowd of people back in verse 1. That same day. He spent teaching parables to the people on shore. That same day, he said to his disciples, Hey, let's head on over to the other side. They're on the west side. The west side, your way. They're on the west side of the Sea of Galilee right now from where you're sitting. Jesus wants to head east. He wants to go to the east side of the sea. With his disciples. Mark gives a lot of detail here. He tells us it occurred uh, uh, on the same day of Jesus' teaching. He tells us the time of day, evening time. He tells us the disciples took Jesus just as he was, and that other boats joined him in crossing to the other side. What Mark doesn't say is why Jesus wanted to cross the lake. Some commentators speculate that he was tired from a day of teaching and needed rest and relief from the crowds. Other commentators say perhaps he wanted to preach to a new group of people. He did that before previously. He wanted to go into other towns to preach, the Bible says earlier in Mark. Another commentator suggests Jesus knew of a desperate case of demonic possession on the other side of the lake and wanted to rid the man of the demon. Stay tuned next week for that message that Matthew will preach. All three possibilities could be true. But Mark doesn't tell us the why here, nor do Matthew and Luke, who include this account in their Gospels. What we know, however, is Jesus wanted to cross the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples obliged, and they did so just as Jesus was. Just as Jesus was. That's an interesting phrase to me as I read these verses. It connects Jesus' long day of teaching... To the miracles that follow. As he was when he was teaching here, so he was when performing miracles. He didn't change clothes. He didn't get a bite to eat. He didn't go to shore for any reason because he would have been mobbed by the crowds. When Jesus said he wanted to cross to the other side, he wanted to do it without delay. So they took him as He was. Another detail Mark shares that the other Gospels do not is the presence of other boats with Jesus as he crossed the lake. Some of the crowd apparently didn't want Jesus to get away. They didn't want him to leave their sight. He could get no rest from them. Look at verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. The New King James Version translate the, translates the Greek word lilapse. It looks like this on the screen. Lilapse. I don't do this often, but I'm going to the Greek today. More than once. New King James Version translates this word. It's pronounced Lilapse As a great windstorm. The New Living Translation calls it a fierce storm. The New American Standard translates it a fierce gale of wind, and the NIV calls it a furious squall. Vine's Complete Dictionary of New Testament Words defines lilaps to mean a hurricane, a whirlwind, a tempest. So based on that definition, you can imagine this was quite a weather event. And it's really not all that uncommon in this region. The Sea of Galilee is just over eight miles wide at its widest point, about 13 miles long. It's actually a freshwater lake. Those who were in uh, the Holy Land uh, last week were on the Sea of Galilee. saw it firsthand. It sits approximately 700 feet below sea level. There are mountains and high hills surrounding it. So that when warm air from the water rises and meets the cool air in the mountains, it produces great winds and some powerful storms that churn the water and causes heavy waves and very dangerous conditions. And it's still known for this activity today. That's what happens here. That's what happens here in Mark chapter 4 in the passage we're in this morning. When Jesus and his disciples began their journey across the lake, the weather was apparently, apparently fine. The water was calm, but that quickly changed, and a hurricane-like storm rose up. So that Mark writes, the waves beat into the boat, or the wind was driving the waves into the boat. The boat started filling with water, and the water was overcoming the boat. You may have seen this movie. I'm not sure. I, I think one of the greatest movie lines in a movie, and movie lines are debatable. You probably have a different one. I'm not saying this is my number one at all, but this is a great movie line that I thought of. As I was reading this passage, it comes from a movie. It's a, a true story. The movie's called The Finest Hours. It's about uh, a Coast Guard rescue off the coast of Cape Cod, Massachusetts back in 1952. An oil, uh, pardon me, a a cargo tanker uh, actually split in half during a really violent storm. This is in February, so it's winter. It's really cold. Uh, The uh, tanker, which was very large, couldn't take the pressure and the punishment and literally broke in half. The bow went down. Eight people went down with it. Thirty-three people were remaining uh, on the stern, uh, and it actually remained afloat a little bit. Uh, the Coast Guard had to go out uh, to save these people. But Chris Pine plays the uh, Coast Guardsman who, who uh, captains the cutter that goes out for the rescue. And one of the men at the Coast Guard station says this to him. He says, that man is sending you out there to die. There's no way they were going to be able to make this rescue. Chris Pine said this In the Coast Guard, they say you've got to go out, they don't say you've got to come back in. That's. Uh, look at verse 38. Compare Jesus' reaction to the disciples' reaction as they were caught in this storm. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So apparently Jesus is exhausted by a full day of teaching. And he's sleeping in the stern on a pillow or a cushion of some kind. It's the only place in the Gospels where we find Jesus sleeping, by the way. It's an important note to make because Jesus, while he's fully God, he is also fully man and men get tired and they get worn out and they need to get rest. Keep in mind, he must have been very tired to sleep through such a violent storm. As for the disciples, they're scared to death. They went out because Jesus wanted them to go out. But they started thinking, we're not going to get back in. We're not going to make it back in. I want you to consider this scene for a moment. You've got the 12 disciples and Jesus on this boat. All right, think about this for a moment. Four of these disciples are career fishermen. They have been on this lake many, many, many times, probably in pretty serious storms at times maybe not exactly like this but they're familiar with this environment this surrounding you know three others of the disciples went fishing with Peter Andrew James and John after Jesus resurrection and in John chapter 21 so maybe up to seven were career fishermen who are familiar with this environment and we don't know about several others of the disciples but these career fishermen are scared to death. They are panicked here. They're used to experiencing strong winds, I'm sure, but today's storm is it's different. And today the disciples are convinced they're going to drown. They're certain their boat is going to sink. So when they see Jesus sleeping peacefully in the stern... They scold him for it. Don't you care that we're going to die? Think about that question. Don't you care, Jesus? Don't you care about us? Are you kidding? All Jesus did... Was care. Everything he did showed love and care and compassion for people. He healed diseases. He cast out demons. He forgave sins. He chose these men to be his disciples. And they dare to ask him the question Don't you care about us? The Bible says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Who wrote those words? Peter wrote those words. Peter, who is on the boat with Jesus as it's going through this storm and asking the question, Don't you care? And years later, Peter was able to write, he cares. He cares. I can tell you firsthand. He cares. Listen, the disciples had witnessed Jesus healing diseases. He'd witnessed Jesus casting out demons. He'd witnessed Jesus forgiving sins. He even heard Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man, which links him to a prophecy out of of the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. That's me, Jesus says. And yet when the disciples cried out to him, they didn't call him Lord. They didn't see him as God. They called him how they saw him. Teacher. 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 The disciples got a glimpse of Jesus' humanity as he slept. And as we said before, Jesus is fully man. He was exhausted, so he slept. But as we also said, Jesus is fully God. And in verse 39, he puts that power on display. He puts his being God on a powerful display to the disciples. Mark's is the only gospel that records Jesus' words. Then he arose, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace! Be still! Jesus awakens, he rises from his cushion, and he rebukes or gives an order to the wind, and he says to the waves, Peace. Be still. Jesus uses two different Greek words in his command to the wind and the waves. They're two different Greek words, but they're both translated peace in different uh, areas of this book. The first word is siopao. Siopao. It means to be silent. That's the first word Jesus uses in verse 39. second word is the Greek word phimoo. Fimo'o literally means to muzzle, to muzzle. Think about this with me. This is the same word Jesus used back in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, when he cast a demon out of the man in the synagogue. You remember? But Jesus rebuked him, that is the demon in this man, saying, be quiet, the King James says, hold thy peace, hold thy peace, is what the King James says. Be muzzled and come out of him. When Jesus rose from his cushion and rebuked the wind and the sea, it was as if he was addressing a demon here. Be silent. Be muzzled. What was the result? Two miracles. Two miracles. Not one. Two miracles happened here. Look at the second half of that verse. And the wind ceased. See it? And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. When Jesus ordered the weather and the water to be silent, to be muzzled, there was instant obedience Immediately, the storm ended. The wind stopped. That was the first miracle. The second miracle was the waves. When a storm ends, it takes the ocean or any body of water, a long time to come under control. It takes a while for waves to settle after a storm. But here they became calm immediately. Two miracles happen here. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So the title of the message this morning is Fear, Faith, and Fear. And I get that title from these verses right here. Fear, Faith, and Fear. Why are you so fearful? Jesus asked. How is it that you have no faith? And they, that is the disciples, feared exceedingly. Fear. Faith and fear. That first use of the word fear when Jesus asked, why are you so fearful? I imagine name-calling hasn't, uh, uh, has changed since I was a kid many years ago. I'm sure name-calling has changed quite a bit. When I was a kid, one of the worst things you could be called was chicken. Chicken. you get called chicken? I did some stupid things to prove I wasn't chicken when I was a kid. Chicken was a synonym for coward. That word fearful in verse 40. Why are you so fearful? Literally, that word means cowardly. It is rare that I ever quote from the Message Bible. But the Message Bible gets it right here. Why are you such cowards? It says. Following his first question, Jesus asks another question. How is it that you have no faith? Have you ever been bewildered by something? As we said before, Jesus is the promised Messiah. And he's not Hiding that from his disciples. In this very same chapter in verse 11, Jesus said, Unto you, disciples, it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Verse 34 says Jesus expounded all things to his disciples. He's not hiding the fact that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And yet when circumstances seem dire, the disciples turn into cowards. And Jesus' question reeks of bewilderment. In the time that we've been together, in all that I've taught you, in all that you've seen me do, how can it possibly be that you have no faith in me? That you don't trust me? Jesus, the Son of God, says to his disciples when they started on this journey, let's cross over to the other side. He didn't say, let's go halfway and sink to the bottom. How is it that you have no faith? I like what I read in one commentary. It said, there was an element of faith that the disciples had because they went to Jesus for relief in their trouble. But their faith was very small, because even though Jesus was in the boat with them, they were cowering in fear. But then the commentator writes this, Faith dispels fear, but only in proportion to its strength. Faith dispels fear, but only in proportion to its strength. The third word in the title of our message this morning is the second use of the word fear. Verse 41 says, and they feared exceedingly. It's a different Greek word than the word in verse 40. And it should literally be translated here, they feared a great fear. It's double fear here. Based on what they had witnessed, the disciples' cowardly fear turned into a reverential fear. That word in verse 41 means the disciples were literally struck with deep awe of Jesus. The Old Testament makes clear that only God can control the weather. Who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. The disciples were struck with deep awe after what they had witnessed. That's where we want to be. That's where we want to be. We want this fear. To be in deep awe of Jesus. And the closer you draw to him, the deeper that awe will become. The deeper that awe becomes the deeper your faith. But no matter how deep your faith is, storms will come. You hear me? Storms will come. And how you get through these storms will be determined by the amount of faith you have. Some of you are going through storms I can't imagine having to go through. I'm blown away by your example, and I thank you for your faithfulness. But whatever storm you may be struggling with this morning, some of you, like the disciples, may be asking the question, don't you care, Lord? Don't you care? And to that, all I can say is this, please. Trust him. Lean into his promises. He does care for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has the power to calm the storm. But if he doesn't, he will walk with you through it. I'm going to close with a a story out of a book by Max Licato. It's called In the Eye of the Storm. Um, really good. It's about a, uh, he went to a, a funeral of a, of a gentleman uh, that he loved, godly man. And uh, this gentleman's son uh, gave a eulogy about his dad and he shared a story. This is the story he shared. It was, a spring, it was spring in West Texas, tornado season. Paul was only three or four years old at, at the time, but he remembers vividly the day that a tornado hit their small town. His father hustled the kids indoors and had them lie on the floor while he laid a mattress over them, but his father didn't climb under the protection. Paul remembers peeking out from under the mattress and seeing him standing by an open window watching the funnel cloud twist and churn across the prairie. When Paul saw his father, he knew where he wanted to be. He struggled out of his mother's arms, crawled out from under the mattress, and ran to wrap his arms around his dad's leg. Something told me, Paul said, that the safest place to stand in a storm was next to my father. Safest place to be in a storm is nearer to the Lord. Draw near to him, dear people. Draw near to him. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for this passage. timely. I'm thankful for your grace. I'm thankful for your people. And I know there are people sitting before me who are going through storms of great difficulty. And I pray that you will pour out much grace on them. Make yourself known in a powerful way. God, may they be struck again with a deep awe of Jesus. Increase our faith in Jesus' name.